listeners and welcome to podcast 98 in our surely soon to be award winning series You Should Have Been There with me Simon Calder and me Mick Webb. Today we're exploring museums and galleries, particularly the new generation of them that is springing up quirkily and sometimes intriguingly all over the place. Where are they? Are they any good? Are they going to rival the iconic established behemoths of capital cities with their audio guides, interactive features and massive, usually unavoidable shops? Well, we've got a few tips, experiences and prejudices to share, plus an interview with Jill Chai, founder of a very modern museum called the Museum of Travel Things. Here's a taste of uh, one of their audio exhibits. If you hadn't guessed, it's a recording of a Chinese New Year festival in Myanmar. And of course, uh, Chinese New Year starts on the 1st of February. It's the Year of the Tiger coming up. But it's interesting that so few museums for which many of us will travel many miles are actually about travel itself. But... Before we get on to that, let's spend a moment or two on the responses from listeners to our last podcast. We discussed, if you might remember, along with Lucy Thackeray from the independent Irresistible Travel Destinations, Vegan Hotels, Work and Playcations, not to mention the world's worst tourist attractions. Aura got in touch on Twitter to say that a vegan hotel is totally resistible. Well, I do quite enjoy a, uh, a vegan meal from time to time. But uh, on the subject of the world's worst white elephant of a tourist attraction, uh, an idea inspired by the closure of the absurd Marble Arch Mound, Soho Schrock got in touch with the uh, suggestion that we need look no further. I think the mound ticks so many boxes that it should be a clear winner. Vaingloriously pointless, way over budget, a commercial and environmental disaster, and failed to achieve any of its objectives. I think possibly having a new perspective on London's Edgware Road could be counted as one of its objectives, but um, Soho Shrock's description sounds unfortunately close to my life so far. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, let's get on to museums and galleries. Um, what's the winning formula that gets you through the turnstiles and past the security checks? I think, and this has always been the case while I've been travelling from the first time I went to the Louvre in Paris, aged about 15, there's a sense of duty that, yes, you do <laughs> have to go and see the big hitters. Now, over the years, I've kind of refined that a little. Um, clearly, both you and I, um, with interests in being travel uh, writers, researchers, um, have to see these things, um, or are lucky enough to see these things professionally. But if you have a location that is both in itself a, a marvellous venue, and I'm thinking here of the Rijksmuseum in in Amsterdam, the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, and of course the Louvre in Paris. And it has uh, cultural wealth that is clearly of astonishing uh, value, then you're going to go and see it. Um, but of course, there's actually in the Premier League of Museums, you know, it's a, a fairly slim 
uh, table, I I have to say. Um, I think for me, I'd add uh, to your great buildings plus great work, something like um, uh, the shock or the surprise, the delight of the unexpected, which if I was pretentious, which of course I'm not, I would call Musée Trouvé. <laughs> and uh, now here's an example. I was on holiday three years ago, I suppose it is now, in the, in the really rather interesting uh, Croatian uh, region of Istria or Istra, uh, and in the absolutely wonderful um, seaside uh, village of uh, Rovin, uh, and was mm-hmm. um, wandering around through its uh, narrow cobbled streets and uh, came upon something called the Visconti Gallery, and there was a right. uh, an exhibition of Spanish masters on. And there were a hundred or so works, sort of mainly lithographs and drawings, but some paintings um, by Dali, Picasso, Tapies and Miro. And uh, it was absolutely astonishing. I mean, just very small, uh, very informal, but there are all these great things just dotted around a really interesting, I think it might have been an 18th century building. And um, uh, I, I would particularly recommend as, uh, I, are you a Capricorn? You are, so am I. So um, uh, there's a series of Signs of the Zodiac by uh, Salvador Dali, which is suitably bonkers and interesting. And the uh, Capricorn sign is is particularly colourful and attractive. Uh, Well, well, very good, very good. Reminds me of you then. There's one place which I cannot uh, wait to get to, which is the Nucos Museum of Art. This is in a really absurd location. It's in a kind of lost corner of Uzbekistan, (laughs) just by the Turkmenistan border. And it's a collection that was somehow amassed in during Soviet times by a guy called Igor Savitsky. And Somehow, instead of the usual Soviet museum, which kind of takes you in uh, 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 three bounds from stuffed voles to Soviet man, um, he decided that he was going to um, uh, collect lots and lots of very cutting edge avant-garde Soviet art. And it, it sounds beautiful. The pictures I've seen online just make me want to uh, to to go there immediately, but it is incredibly difficult to get to, um, and I I imagine particularly in the age of COVID. No, well that does sound interesting, but I, I do know that while uh, much of the world has been uh, locked in and locked down, you've still been resolutely out and about and visiting museums. Um, I mean, do you get the feeling that they're changing at all? They are. I think the pace of change is increasing as of course tourism becomes more competitive uh, culture becomes i guess more competitive and my great adventure uh, last weekend was to go to paris and to visit the bourse du commerce the old stock exchange which has now been revolutionarily redesigned by uh, tadao ando and it uh, contains the collection of um, Francois Pinot, a billionaire who uh, has got really too much art to know what to do with it. So he decided to um, put it put it on show there. Uh, it's a <laughs> location right in the heart of Paris. 
Uh, it's a beautiful building, and it's actually the one place in a very empty Paris where I found any crowds. Just in the queue for security at the Bourse du Commerce, now housing the Pinot collection, and goodness me, what a faff everything is. Now we're just waiting for security, but the great thing is you can look into this vast circular building and just be amazed at how lucky we are to be able to come back into something which was the realm of buying stocks and shares and now is devoted to art and humanity and security liberté égalité security i think that's how it goes isn't it Finally, I'm descending down the double helix staircase, one of the original features that has been preserved in the new building and absolutely designed for the age of COVID. People going up are separated from those of us heading down. I'm not sure about the art, but I am sure that this rather like, I guess, the Guggenheim in Bilbao is a structure that greatly outweighs its contents and is worth coming to see just to explore the possibilities of architecture. And who knows, you might even get to enjoy some of the art. Did I get the impression that you didn't particularly enjoy the uh, art that you saw there, although the building was very nice? Oh, well, uh, it was um, unusual. And look, goodness sake, I'm, I'm for one moment uh, not criticising somebody who wants to use um, some of their surplus cash to uh, create places that, that make you think about the meaning of art. But the main exhibit, which was by... Um, uh, fissure of uh, uh, melting sculptures and um, uh, some fairly arbitrary looking chairs. Oh, it was interesting, but all the time you are, and this is perhaps the mark of a an unusual museum. Uh, all the time you are you are looking in wonder at the venue itself rather than the contents. However, it's a landmark. It's open to the public. I relish. Uh, getting other views on the place. But what they've done in Rotterdam is create a landmark that is a, a kind of almost a, 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 the antimatter for a, a typical art museum. What they've done is uh, built themselves a place called the Depot. And this is a wonderful egg that's appeared on the skyline of Rotterdam uh, it's full of all the art that would otherwise be in a warehouse guarded by fierce dogs in the, the suburbs of Rotterdam. Instead, you can just wander through all the stuff they couldn't find rooms for on the walls. It is magnificent. Well, what we clearly have is no shortage of things to see and museums and galleries clamouring for our custom. So how do we make sense of it as travellers? Um, now, I have a suggestion. Um, 
go for broke and make the museums the focus of your trip. This happened to me by accident nearly 10 years ago during a reporting visit to Zagreb in Croatia. I hadn't intended spending the first day of my visit to Zagreb looking round museums. For one thing, the late May sunshine was not conducive to being stuck inside, but also I was rather keener to find out how the Croatian capital was facing up to the future rather than delving into its past. But my plans were changed by a chance event. As I meandered through the city's historic upper town, almost a museum in its own right, past the cream and ochre-coloured Baroque palaces, my way was suddenly barred by a couple of stern-looking armed police. Apparently, a high-ranking Chinese trade delegation was visiting the nearby Croatian parliament, and the area was on full lockdown. Hmm. As I happened to be standing outside the Museum of Naive Art at the time, I decided to cut my losses and go inside. It was the first such museum in the world, an initiative of the Tito regime to encourage artistic expression among working people. Its original title was the Peasant Art Gallery, and extremely interesting it turned out to be. Most of the pictures were painted in oil on glass, well actually on the back of the glass, so they'd had to be painted backwards, if you see what I mean. And and, and the result was that the scenes have a kind of extraordinary luminescence, which um, seemed to particularly suit some of the harsh wintry landscapes or the dreamy summer ones. But anyway, I got the museum bug then and encouraged by the fact that uh, it happened to be National Museums Day, so the state-run museums were all free, I popped into the nearby National History Museum to see a temporary exhibition on the homeland wars of the early 1990s. It pulled absolutely no punches in its depictions of the uh, Serbian and communist army that they controlled as brutal aggressors. I also noted that um, in the nine months that the museum had been open, uh, there had been no Serbian visitors. Anyway, it was time then for a visit to the most recent addition to Zagreb's panoply of museums, the Museum of Broken Relationships. This is the one that's attracted the most attention, and it was by far the best attended. It's also privately run, so I actually had to pay to get in. The museum is full of items which people have donated to um, symbolise the breakup of a personal relationship alongside the story of what happened. There were wedding clothes, as you might expect, a bicycle, an axe, a woolly toy. Now, the story behind the axe was not quite as violent as you might fear. Um, It was apparently used by a a German woman to therapeutically reduce to matchwood the furniture belonging to her lover who had left on a business trip and never come back, except to collect what was left of her table, chairs, wardrobe, etc. I'd say that that museum tells you a lot about the new Croatian generation, their international outlook, edgy, witty, ironic and tackling their country's pain head on. And this creative approach to curation has continued. 
Nowadays, if you visit Zagreb, as well as the place I've mentioned and the imposing and interesting Museum of Contemporary Art, you can also take in the Museum of Chocolate, the Mushroom Museum, the Museum <laughs> of Illusions, the Baco Mini Railway, claimed to be the largest toy railway in Europe, the Torture Museum, and last but not least, the Hangover Museum which I'm going to get extended to include hangovers brought about by visiting too many museums. Well, I enjoyed that, Mick. Thank you. And I agree about having a hangover from too many museums. I think the world has an excess of them. And, well, I can only imagine that the travel market will sort that out. Uh, interesting, of course, as you say, you, you visited the uh, Museum of Broken Relationships and the National History Museum um, with those uh, aggressors. Um, and that's the Museum of Broken International Relations, as so many of them are. Can I just mention one that I've spotted while researching this, which is at Museum of the Future, opening soon in Dubai. So it's taking the idea that uh, museums are all about stuff that has happened, and this is all about stuff that is going to happen in the year 2071, they reckon. However, ironically, even though it's the Museum of the Future, it could not foresee the fact that its opening would be delayed. And I think it's now currently about three years late, but opening imminently in Dubai. Where else? Um, I suppose my interest in smaller museums and off-the-beaten off track museums is based on a kind of uh, uh, an idea that large museums and iconic museums are actually quite exhausting. You know, a bit like a Christmas dinner, much too rich, um, too many ingredients. And I would add to that too many irritating fellow travellers, um, particularly those who have invested in their audio guide and spend about 10 minutes in front of uh, any particular <laughs> exhibit that uh, that gets a good entry in, in said guide. Um, I've got some um, ideas for countering um, that uh, overload, which is get out of the capitals, go to um, small towns like uh, Valladolid in Mexico, where there's one of the most <laughs> wonderful um, exhibitions you could ever wish to see. It's at the Casa de los Venados. If anybody hasn't had the great joy of visiting Valladolid in the Yucatan province of Mexico. Well, it's pretty much halfway between Cancun and Merida and just a, a turn off from the uh, from the highway that runs between those two great cities. Well, thank you. And uh, yes, if you do make your way there, you'll find a very nice um, uh, main square and then uh, down a very pretty side street, the Casa de los Venados, which is actually furnished with um, Mexican folk art um, and uh, you will meet as you go through the front door a, uh, a very fine representation of a human skeleton who's sitting at a table with a, a cup of coffee and reading a newspaper. Um, there's an absolutely wonderful um, chandelier in, in the form of a prickly pear cactus. I can't tell you how lovely that is and also a set of dining <laughs> chairs in some kind of very nice wood which might be walnut um, which sort of feature on the backs uh, very fine portraits of great characters from Mexican history. You know people like um, 
Pancho Villa and uh, and uh, Zapata, great uh, heroes mm. of the revolution. And indeed, Frida Kahlo, I think herself is there with her um, epic eyebrows, or shall I say eyebrow. Um, okay, here's another suggestion. Um, go to the other show in town. So in Bilbao, uh, where, of course, everyone goes to the um, Guggenheim, you would be very well advised to visit the other museum, the Fine Arts Museum, where the art is the star rather than the building. Um, and another thought, small is definitely beautiful. In um, Jerez de la Frontera, which of course is the, the cradle of, uh, of sherry, um, there are a number of bodegas, wineries, where you can go on um, tours and, uh, and find out how the wine is made. One of these is called Bodegas Tradición, which also houses one of southern Spain's most important private art collections. Uh, the Colección Joaquín Rivero is named after the bodega's founder and consists of absolutely top works, but very few of them, by Spanish artists from the 15th to the 20th century. So you can... Um, see a couple of Velasquez, a couple of Goyas, some Murillos, even two ceramic tiles by apparently the eight-year-old Picasso. Um, but you can go round and see these things um, with the help of a guide and even better with the help of a glass of Palo Cortado, which is absolutely the best sherry that money can buy. <laughs> I look forward to trying that, Mick. There are reports that there is going to be a new service from Gatwick Airport um, through to Jerez um, starting this summer, which will make, uh, make it all the more accessible. We are, of course, very accustomed to travelling to museums, but strangely, there's very few museums devoted to actual travel. We have, both of us, visited an interesting one in Lourdes about Pyrenean explorers and mountaineers, but very few others. So we've been talking to someone who's trying to change all that, Jill Chai, who is the founder of the Travel Things Museum. Uh, now, Jill, um, I, I, I had a look at your website. As yes. I understand it, it presents everyday objects from around mm -hmm. the world, um, which I suppose travellers might collect or would see. But how, do, how does it actually work? Is it, is it virtual or do you need to go to a place to see it? And Travel Things Museum, it's a pop-up, physical museum. Ah, pop-up, right. Um, yeah. It's pop-up. And we share the joy of a global travel and we use everyday objects to tell the story around the world. And you have, sorry, can I, sorry, yeah. and you have sounds as well, don't yes, you? Yes, we do have a collect audio. Because in my museum, I try to do it, so they give us uh, people a sensation of a travel. And also the uh, latest one is our virtual reality. Can you see those online or do you actually have to go to an exhibition, one of your pop-ups to see them? Because mm -hmm. I know you had one in Brixton, which is very near yeah. to where I live last year, but I'm afraid I missed it. What, what, what a shame. You, you would you would you would see like a whole uh the war of a culture in one place in one go. I had a look at the objects which you can see on your website and uh, uh there was an oil lamp, a couple of beer bottles, for example, a pair of green slippers. Um do you tell the story of how they were collected uh, or why they're important to you? Yeah. So during our during our exhibition, every visitor they were given by the their guidebook 
Yeah, let's oh. get go back to the 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 make talk about the you know the green sleeper. In a way, this green sleeper is not only the slippers. They are we call it like a, or in China call it liberation shoes. It's before when they when they mount evolution, they need a they need a QA like a they raid army for the cultural revolution. So they need something like robust uh, sort of uniform. Yeah, so it's a, it's the Red Army's green slippers or green boots. Is that? Right. Red, yeah, Red Army shoes or Liberation shoes, that one with General Cohen. Uh, Jill, the, the thing that I've noticed about museums is that people quite like to go and actually visit them. And you've mentioned your excellent exhibition in, in Brixton. Is there Are there other things coming up or is there any hope that you could have a permanent home so that people can travel to go and see the Museum of, of Travel Things? At the moment, it's more like a private museum. I set it up. It's only running for the last couple of years only. And then I'm a trained architect. So at the moment, it's purely self-funding by myself. And then I would love to have a permanent uh, space for the, for the museum, invite yeah. more people coming to see it. Because during our last year exhibition, we, we opened for two weeks. The feedback was overwhelming, especially the COVID time, people can't travel. Some visitors come here, stay more than an hour, talk about their memory of travel. And then, and the most important thing, they're just curious, all these objects. Jill Chai and just search online for Travel Things Museum to find all the exciting things that they are doing. I think it's unlikely, Mick, that we will become accustomed to effectively uh, visiting museums online rather than uh, in the real world. I remember first doing a story about virtual reality in museums in around 2003. Uh, and I wondered if this is the future of great exhibitions. We'll just be sitting at home looking at them all online. Uh, but I have seen exactly no evidence that that will, will happen. Clearly, a lot of people have been doing that scrolling through during lockdown, but it's no substitute for being there. Oh, I do agree with that. But, but one of the things that uh, Jill's um, uh, project made me think about was that actually, um, if I look around um, the walls of my um, so-called uh, study here, I can see all kinds of uh, travel-related, um, I suppose I'd call them souvenirs, but I suppose they could easily be um, exhibits, <laughs> um, in, indeed in my own personal uh, travel museum and for example now a, a rather nice nice souvenir which is a collection of the badges of all of the um, uh, Italian first division football teams <laughs> which I was given by the president of Parma um, FC or FC Parma when I went to do a report about Italian football many years ago and uh, yeah all of these things are have uh, all kinds of personal interest but they've also got some other sorts of social and contextual interest as well what would you have in yours oh um, I well, I'm gazing at my walls, and they are filled with Soviet-era posters. Um, I've got one called Rabochi, which is the front page of a, a a Soviet newspaper, which I picked up actually, I think, in the 1980s. I've also got two huge fabric-framed posters, um, and uh, th this is uh, depicting uh, the Konkolsky, the Tupolev 144, and the uh, famous Ilyushin 62, which 
which is basically the uh, the Soviet VC-10, but mostly it shows them just dominating the world uh, in a very, very spectacular fashion. And I think that that speaks of travel. It speaks of um, uh, of. of, of uh, times past and i'm also just looking across to a lovely watercolor that my uh, late dear mother um painted while in cuba with the uh, cuban flag all there so yes i think we should perhaps start our own museum but we'd need to find a venue we'd need to find somebody to run it but uh, no the 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 um uh the web called uh, Museum of Travel, I think, will will not be uh, will not be on the South London attractions list particularly soon. But uh, I guess we can work on it. Yes, well, maybe we can work with Jill on a kind of joint venture. Yes, um, and I think we should also work with um, with listeners who, um, if they would like to, uh, maybe uh, send. A, I, I think a a sound exhibit would be quite an interesting thing, something that you might have recorded, which is um, specific to a particular place or which at least um, brings up powerful memories of it. And of course, the way to send an audio recording to us is at um, anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there or one word. Of course, we love hearing from you on Twitter at you should have BT. So do let us know about your favourite and perhaps least favourite museums, but also your most outstanding travel breakfast. That is the theme of Podcast 99 coming your way next week. It might be spectacular because of the contents of the breakfast, the location or the day that it's set in motion. So until next week, from uh, me, Mick Webb, and me, Simon Calder, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.